0: Good day, everyone. This is Matt with the Cup of Freedom. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. We have a special episode today, a throwback episode. Three years ago, I had the chance to interview my dad for a special Father's Day episode. It was in the first year of our podcast and did an interview with him, just talking to him about his ministry and what he does. He's a counselor, and he's got a ministry called Breakthrough Moments. It was a really cool chance to be able to just talk with him, and I think you're really going to get a kick out of this and really enjoy this. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna pl- replay that um, interview from three years ago. You may hear some references to things that were going on at the time. Uh, if you think about 2020 and some of the things that were happening there, but uh, with Father's Day coming up this weekend, those of you that are listening that are that are dads, Happy Father's Day to you! Uh, have a great celebration with your kids and your family. But those that are just listening, we just we, we first of all thank you for. Joining this podcast, this this interview is about an hour long, so it is a little bit longer. So you may have to break it up into a couple segments, but I think you're really going to not want to miss this. You're really going to want to really want to going to check this out because it's just a cool chance. And we're going to hopefully have him on again sometime uh, here soon to be able to have another interview. So without further ado, uh, here's my dad, Dave Galbraith, uh, and Breakthrough Moments, and an interview with with him I did three years ago. Welcome, everyone, to A Cup of Freedom. This is Matt Galbraith, and I'm really excited today to be talking with my dad, Dave Galbraith. I'm glad to be able to talk to him for Father's Day. And, uh, Dad, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. A
1: daunting experience for sure.
0: And we've got our Cardinal shirts on, so we're ready to go. Yeah. There, we're big, huge Cardinal fans, and so that's that's good. And I've got my Cardinal mug of coffee, so I know I'm in we're in my
1: office here, where there's Cardinals pictures everywhere, pictures of our family trips to St. Louis and all those things. So this is pretty well Cardinals everywhere over here.
0: Well, let me ask you about coffee first, because I know you. We're recording this in the afternoon. You've probably already had two or three cups. Yeah, you're. I know you're a big coffee drinker, so. Tell everybody about that. What kind of coffee do you (laughs) like? What do you like in it? All that kind of stuff. Oh,
1: I'm usually black coffee. uh, Every once in a while, I'll put a little hazelnut in it in the afternoon if I drink one. But I try to drink less coffee. Uh, My doctors tell me I should, uh, but I'm not willing to to not drink it. It's a big part of my culture here. So um, we like... um, Generally you know we just put a Keurig on anymore. We don't do cup, we don't do pots of coffee anymore. we do cups of coffee, so we'll do different kinds and uh, usually it's I like stronger full bodied coffees um, so sometimes people think that's nuts you know that uh, to me it's, it's the most like coffee when it's that. Yeah. I don't like it bitter, but I like it uh, uh, strong.
0: And you don't put anything in it, right? No. Yeah. No. That's good. I've been known (laughs) to a little bit of hazelnut, maybe, but but not bad. And
1: I've got a bunch of cardinal coffee cups, you know. Got to got to always be drinking out of the Cardinals.
0: Right. So. Well, I yeah. So um yeah, I pretty much take it black too. I know we we my wife has she put pretty much puts all sugar in it, and it's not at that point. I don't think it's coffee anymore, but no have you always have you always like been a coffee drinker because i i was trying to think the other day about when well, i kind of first started co- drinking coffee because it wasn't when i was young
1: i uh college i started drinking coffee uh you know if it was an all- all-nighter for studying or i had a job for two years in college that helped put me through with i woke up every morning at 3 30 in order to get down to my job at 4 a.m., which was a uh, delivering Chicago Tribune newspapers on, on rural routes, uh, about a 50-mile run every night um, to all these rural routes, and I would get paid uh, cash, and, but it was seven days a week. I didn't do it every day. So I got used to getting up, and then I was through usually about 6.30, and I had to decide: do I, have, do I want to go back to sleep? which usually I didn't have time. Do I,
0: yeah. or do
1: I stay up? And so coffee was part of the whole deal there to stay up and get myself going. And that's what started the ball rolling. And from there, I don't ever remember a time when I wasn't drinking coffee, particularly in the morning.
0: Hmm. How old were you then?
1: Uh, I'd been 20.
0: Okay. 21. So there you go. Well, that's yeah, and the rest is history, as they say. The rest You're, is history, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I know you and I like coffee shops too. You like to go and sit in coffee shops. You like the whole just the atmosphere of them and the feel of them and just I guess that's something we've been kind of missing these last few months with right. everything, huh?
1: Yeah. There's yeah, there's there's some really good ones and there's some really kind of plastic ones that I don't care for. Just just to go to a shop is not, it's got to be the right kind of coffee shop with some some personality and, and and stuff. So, but in my in the work that I do, it's not uncommon for me to once or twice a week to be having coffee with somebody at a shop of some kind. And so uh, you know they're comfortable with it, but that's that's good. Just so you have a little bit of privacy.
0: Have you done a Zoom coffee yet? I have. <laughs> Actually, I guess yeah. we're kind of doing a Zoom coffee here but yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Zoom is
0: my good my good friend
1: right now. It's uh that's how I'm doing pretty much all of my activity with my counseling and coaching. Yeah. Um it's hard to do the consulting work I do by Zoom, but uh I think we're getting close to maybe breaking out a little bit and uh maybe doing one or two uh in person kinds of things. We'll see how it
0: goes. Well, also, I guess I got, I have to ask you, how much are you missing baseball right now? How's that's? I actually
1: was. Um, I actually was talking about it this morning with one of my clients. Um, uh, it, was, it was actually a church leadership group, and I'm I'm teaching them about soul care. Yeah. And uh, part of the soul care, one, one way to look at it, is to examine what replenishes your soul what depletes your soul
0: yeah
1: and and so in doing that you take some inventory and and uh, the the goal would be is to create a replenishment plan here are the things that if i do these on a regular basis uh it, it satisfies my soul it takes care of me physically emotionally and certainly spiritually and so I was going through a little bit of what, what my replenishment plan looks like to give them an idea. Yeah. And one yeah. of my categories is, um, is basically fun and recreation and San Louis Cardinals are all over that. You know, we're always wanting to go to a game here mm-hmm. or there or watch them on TV or talk about them with family and friends and, and, mm-hmm. and, and follow them on online. And so all that's just a part of the built-in culture of my family and, and, and so I, re- I was I was talking to them, I don't know what they thought about me, but I said, you know what? I don't know how godly it sounds, but uh, <laughs> but uh, St. Louis Cardinals are a positive replenishing factor in my life. So I guess that tells you how much they uh, they mean to me. Uh, they don't I like them when they win, but I like them anytime. just they're
0: my team, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say they can also be a soul depleter when they were losing, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> if I, I got over that. Maybe I, I don't know whether I grew out of there or not. I mean, I, I prefer them to win, but and they've done a good job of winning overall over the years. But but uh, yeah, no, you're if you're a fan, you just gotta say it. It it's fun regardless. So yeah, uh,
0: yeah, and I have you know, and, I have you and mom and my grandparents to thank for the. Yep. Cardinal heritage and all the memories and the continued memories of, of just yep. Cardinal baseball and, and all of that. So that's uh that's just part of our, it's part of our family. Now it's almost like when you think of the Galbraiths, kind of like your shirt says the Galbraith house is a Cardinal house. You think of the Galbraiths, uh, I think of the Cardinals too. <laughs> so that's. Well, I hope people who know us well think of a
1: whole lot more things than just well, that.
0: That's but true. I you, but I hear
1: you. We, I want them to know that we're, we're real people and we have fun and uh, uh and that's all part of the culture we tried to build with our family of togetherness it's really what draws us close
0: yeah um so you need you need that and we're looking forward to the next big trip because we haven't been able to do that and how how hopeful are you for the season mm. even starting or coming together have you baseball, thought about
1: that? professional baseball seems to be the hardest of all the pro sports right now i I don't know whether it's the players' union or what, but I, about the time I feel like it's getting close, something will happen, and they start arguing again. Yeah. It's almost always about money. and If anything is a joy robber, it's that, right? It's, That's that, yeah. These yeah. owners are losing tons of money, so I, I don't know what they're going to come up with. But I still believe that we'll have a couple months of baseball, and they'll probably try to force as much baseball into those two or
0: three months as they can. And I hope they do. Yeah. Yeah cuz I'm kind of getting tired of watching some of the old games. I've been watching a few of those yeah. so <laughs> they're still good but I'm ready, ready for some new baseball. Yep. Well, uh so i threw you a few off-speed pitches there. Now I want to get into oh. some <laughs> want to get into some harder harder uh harder stuff here. So just I guess tell tell everybody a little bit about BTM, breakthrough moments and what you do. I know you mentioned a little bit of it already but Maybe tell us a little bit about Breakthrough Moments and what that is and what you do through there. Okay. Uh,
1: Breakthrough Moments is what I've been doing now for five years. So I finally figured out what I wanted to do when I grew up, uh, when I got to my 60s. Um, Never too late. (laughs) Never too late. Uh, It's a a 501c3 not-for-profit ministry. So we don't make any bones about that, uh, and it's really designed to do do two things. There's there's certainly counseling, coaching, and consulting buckets within uh, within the ministry. So each of those have a particular path that I do depending on who I'm working with. I work with a lot of business owners, particularly uh, men and women who are trying to. Uh, um uh, honor God with their businesses and for business to mean more to matter more than just uh profit and loss and uh, those kind of things. And so uh, uh so that because of my background that seemed like a really particularly good fit. I know that world and uh pretty well. So so the real fast story was grew up uh, for 20 years uh in the retail apparel department store business, and uh, that eventually brought us to Texas 27 years ago, I think it is now, yeah. um, and so I was, I was a, a regional manager and then director of stores eventually for a, for a group of off-price department stores, and so we did that for um, a while until I, uh, one of my claims to fame is I helped take them out of business. So business was changing and, and all those things were, uh, were factors. And so uh, many, many people like us uh, were getting um, overrun by some of the giant corporate people in America. And so we were just a regional company uh, coming out of San Antonio. And so we ended up, a uh, downsized that and actually reorged that company twice and eventually reorged myself out of a job. And at that point, I had to decide whether we we're going to stay in San Antonio. We had family and kids and starting to have grandkids. And so we we loved it here. And so uh, I went into into uh, entrepreneurial kinds of business, uh, doing something entirely different uh, back in the mid-90s. And uh, in a business called uh, Awesome Speakers, which was a national speakers bureau. Yep. So I used to love helping uh, put uh, conventions and uh, special events together and and uh, training seminars and all the stuff you do in a larger business and so i I thought I'd like to do it on the other side of the desk now and help others do that and so we we became brokers for speakers and entertainers and trainers and those kind of people and it was a, it was a really cool little business there was just six of us there, so I went from managing a couple thousand people to managing. Six,
0: so uh,
1: I liked it. Yeah. Stop put, stop putting my tie on, and and just we worked a lot online and by phone all over the country, and 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 so that's what we began to do, and that was my chance to uh, stay in San Antonio, and work with a um, Christian friend of mine. That's uh, a partnership there, um, but during that time is when God began to speak to my heart about. Hey Dave, time's a waste, and if you're ever going to do anything um, in a more specific, more focused way related to ministry, um, let's be thinking about it. And so that that thread in my thoughts and conversation and prayers was going on for several years, and um, and finally uh, actually was able to sell off my my side of the partnership and. 2004 and do something I thought I would never do, but my pastor had actually come to me and said, hey, have you ever considered? And when I told him, hey, I pretty much consider every day talking to God, guy just don't know what it would look like. He said, well, let me give you some ideas on what it could look like. And he began to talk to me about coming on the church staff. So over a period of a year, we prayed and talked and eventually made the decision. And so I went to work um, uh, initially on well, special events and then uh, uh, evangelism emphasis in my work. And eventually uh, went into what was a um, uh, particularly narrow but I think focused uh, sweet spot for me, which was uh, care ministries and uh, recovery ministries. And then I did uh, primarily biblical, biblical counseling uh, under the auspices of, of the church. So uh, I was on that staff for 12 years. So just just a lot of time and investment there. It was it was a great uh, experience uh, there doing something entirely different. And uh, it was again during toward the end of that particular run where God began to talk to me about tightening up even further and doing some of the things that uh, I think had had become both by what I was realizing and what other people were speaking into me was this this narrow. Uh, sweet spot area where where i was best most effective and best equipped and so uh we made the plunge and your mom and i actually uh, it was a pretty significant faith venture we'd never ever gone where we didn't have a paycheck ever right and um as much as it was a faith uh, thing for me um uh, uh, i didn't know what to expect what to look like and we knew we were going to have to uh, Walked down some paths we never had before. So that was five years ago now, and breakthrough moments has um, has sustained itself well. God has provided for us wonderfully. Uh, it's a growing entity, and um, um, I think as we've specialized more, particularly in um, Christian business owners, which represents about half of our half of our work right now. Um, we feel like we're kind of right where God wants us, and and. Um, um, happy to be here, so that's probably more than you wanted to know. That was the path.
0: no, that was good, but i I want to touch on two points in that. The first one is uh, you and I have talked about this, but just for just for the listeners and and people that would be interested in this, I'm interested too uh did you did you know early on in your life that you maybe wanted to get involved in ministry? Was that something that you even thought about as a teenager college person, or was that something that well, that was kind of off in the distance, you um, maybe yeah, talk a little on, bit about that
1: early on, I wanted to be a coach and eventually a either a Christian education director or a youth pastor. That's where I saw myself going when I was in college and it ended up not going that way but but um, that's that was the vision I, I I think I had a misconception though that ministry equals Go on a staff or be in a church or whatever, and I've found out over the years that actually some of the best ministry, in fact, the most effective ministry, is usually from people who are not doing full-time vocational right. ministry. There are actually some handicaps or some limitations to that. And so, so you, you, uh, I'm not saying it was it was excellent for me. It was good, but I actually have access to more people and more. Uh, more people who perhaps have interest in me uh, in my world today than if I was on a church staff. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it, it's good either way, and God's going to lead that. And I've had the privilege now of doing both. Um, but I'm for, I think most people at the end of the day are going to, to be working a job in a, in a vocation that's suited to them. And the real question is, do they feel called of God to be who they need to be, in that place, if they're a teacher or a coach or a physician or whatever? And the people that I meet all the time are, are convinced that they can live for God full
0: out in ministry, doing, doing it right where they're at. Yeah, it opens up your door to so many more. You know, you're 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 able to engage in so many more with so many more people that. Maybe even some of them would never even come into a church, possibly, or of course not That's something right. like that. So it opens up your door. And then the second thing I wanted to kind of touch with your story was, uh, before you came on staff, you were actually doing some marriage uh, counseling. I mean, not counseling, but well, counseling, I guess, and some marriage uh, workshops and things like right. that. So was that initially? Was that kind of what got you in the door, with with uh, being being on staff? No. Or?
1: Sure, there was some exposure there, uh, and I was kind of doing what I was telling you earlier there. There, uh, So I have a job, I'm doing these other things, but I want to serve my church, I want to serve God, I want to find some unique places that fit me well. And so uh, your mom and I more and more began to realize that our story was... was um, was well-equipped and well-fitted to help others on marriage issues. And we had a desire to do that. Right. Uh, so as much as it's daunting, as much as you want that to be the case, you know, it's not It's not easy. But, uh, but we started out just uh, leading small groups. And then we would start doing some one-on-one couple mentoring that we began doing. And then we began known as kind of some interventionist kind of people where people were really struggling or something was going on we began kind of doing some triage, either myself with a guy or us with a couple. And it was through that that we began doing work with marriage retreats. And we'd travel some and speak and, and do seminars. And it just became kind of a part of who we were. And it was a way for us to use our stories well, uh, because God had brought us from a, a broken marriage marriage, in our marriage. Uh, uh, and we know exactly what that feels like.
0: Right. And what it was
1: what was a part of that. And so it was a real joy when we could
0: help people get through that and, and find some find some help. Yeah. Yeah. So so now I want to I want to think about the name breakthrough moments. I know that has a significant meaning for you. So tell us tell us what that is, what that what that means to you and for somebody that's that's Checking, checking you out, I guess, if you will, and they were to look at that and say, oh, breakthrough moments, what, is that? what does that mean?
1: I'll give you the two primary things that it stands for. Uh, one in a bigger, broader macro sense, it's my experience in my own life and I see it in most people's lives, that you'll look back over time and you'll point to just a few times an episode, an event, a moment in time that you point to and say, that changed my life. And what you want it to be is that changed my life for the good. Uh, But as is typical, most often, it was certainly true in my life, uh, God had to use difficult things to bring us to a point where we were willing to do some of the things that mattered most in our own personal lives certainly in my personal life. And so I've come to believe just philosophically, but I think by conviction, that the stuff that we would typically run from, which are hard things, problems, maybe even crises, are the things that God promises, the Bible promises. There's probably as much written about this in scripture as almost anything that that he will take those kinds of things and use them for our good And they can become basically turning point moments. So breakthrough moments, for me, says, understand where those moments are in your life. Praise God for them and use them as the impetus for how to live your life. What what needed to change? What did God allow to change that helped? So that's number one. But it also kind of speaks a little bit to the process, which is, for me, kind of unique, I think. Uh, Typically within counseling world, many people are using uh, processes that uh, they've learned or developed, uh, lots of good ones out there. But um, I'm of the conviction that most counseling talks about outside-in kinds of doing. Change your behavior, and if you change enough of your behaviors over time, it will change who you are. I don't buy that. And I think that's one of the reasons why change is so elusive for people, because it depends too much on my ability to sustain my behavior. And so the reverse of that would be what I would call inside out, where you talk to people and say, you do what you do because you are who you are. It's, it's a being versus doing. I've heard you talk about this with people before. And so, so what has to happen is you have to understand and take a strong look at where this is coming from not the fruit of your behavior but what's the root of your behavior and that comes from who you are not just what you do i thought i hate it when people would just define me by what they see me doing that means i'm either a good guy or a bad guy uh, depending on their point of view and and uh, but that's a that's a very limiting factor so uh, i believe scripture is really strong in this area related to our identities and when we know and for sure what our identity who our identity is in that we can begin to attack problems in life, difficulties entirely different. Uh, and so it's an inside out, if you will, a heart first behavior second perspective. So when I have a process, I'm a shorter term counselor by nature. I don't spend uh, 20, 30 counseling sessions with somebody. Uh, I tend to be what I would call a triage counselor, which means I'm gonna take a period of time. And for that period of time, my goal will be to allow you to see life well enough, examine who you are, and make a couple of critical next decisions. One of the reasons why change is so hard is because we're sitting around looking at a, a daunting list of all the things that we need to change, all the things that have gone wrong, all the things that I've tried but haven't pulled off, whatever it is. And it can be overwhelming. And so many people get overwhelmed. I've seen strong, successful people who've always been able to get her done somehow, some way, but, but eventually it ran out of steam and didn't know what to do with it because they'd always been dependent on their abilities to conquer to overcome, to do it themselves. And I think life eventually is designed by God to remind us that we we have a desperate need for Him. And so what would it take for you and me to figure that out? Well, usually it's going to take something that's difficult. So I try to help people in a shorter-term initial um, time to identify, make a couple critical decisions, and then go out and live that a little bit. Offer them some support some encouragement, some ways to do that, uh, but kick them out of the nest enough that they can go uh, succeed and fail, but live that out with God's help. Uh, and then and then do regular checkups and, and touch points with them as post-counseling and post-coaching uh, kinds of things. That means breakthrough moments can keep the list short, if you will. I remember the two decisions that I made that, turned the corner for me Uh, and so that's how i use the name to help people understand maybe some differentials between us and maybe what a few people other people do yeah
0: yeah and i know you and i talk a lot about the um you know you you do what you do because you believe what you believe so again that inside out getting to their core beliefs, the roots, you know, you and I talk a lot about that, but thinking about that, I know you do some marriage counseling. I know you do some leadership, but let's specifically maybe talk to men right now. Cause I know you deal mostly with men, uh, in this idea of cri- being in a crisis or being stuck or needing that breakthrough. What are some, what are some commonalities or common root issues that you are finding as you interact with, with these guys are they are they unique or are they kind of there are there some common root issues that you're finding uh, as you come across you know these guys I actually think crises
1: in people's lives is about 80 or ninety percent the same uh, of course there are unique circumstances maybe even times there's some unique uh, cause um, maybe choice of behaviors maybe addictive qualities in a person, whatever those things are, uh, maybe have some intricacies that are uh, unique. But it's only because the 80 or 90% of what got them there is what all of us are up against. And, and so I've found that even in like recovery as an example, right. if you have a group of men in recovery, but there's a variety of um, behavioral uh, problems, once you start talking it through, you'll you'll see that a vast majority of what is a part of the, the threads that put them in that place are the same, what regardless of what behaviors they chose to to uh, live out. so So that's I guess the answer to that question. There's lots of commonality though. Um, I, I don't know if I could make a complete list, but speaking of men. Uh, I think the first one's what I already mentioned. Um, independent independence and pride. Call it what it God, I know where you're at if I need you, but right now, I got a pretty good handle on this. I'm doing it my own my own way. and, uh, and uh, i like I like my deal. And so we can argue around that all day long. But nobody forces us that, and it's usually by choice, and it's usually out of preference that men, uh, they may they may eventually get to some places not preference, but it's only because pride and and arrogance and uh, I can control this and I can handle it. So that would be number one. Um, you know, I think probably a thread is isolation. Yeah. Um, one of the things that happens as crisis begins to happen is either we don't believe somebody would understand. So, who would I talk to about this? Or who else has gone through what I'm going through? I was talking with a guy this uh, this last couple of days who's uh, lost a son, 24 year old son. And uh, I, I can't relate. I'm going to do my very best to help him and minister to him and be there for him. But could I understand that? Not all the way. So, he's got to decide well, who will? So. I'm going to be the friend. He, I'm going to be a friend he needs, and he's got lots of friends. But I'm also going to encourage him, when before it's all over, to hang around some people who have lost their adult children.
0: Yeah,
1: who know what that feels like, and who can go there with them. Maybe, maybe begin to uh, say, "Hey, here's what you can begin to expect." Because I, I've, I've this is what happened to me, and I think that's the, the community aspect of helping people that they're isolated because they don't believe people will understand or they're isolated because they don't think they want people to know. Yeah. I want to look tougher than this. I want to be bigger than this. If it's an addictive quality, um, uh, the last thing I want to know is people that want what I'm doing in the, in the secret places of my life. I don't even want you to think that I have secret places in my life. So there's, So there's isolation
0: there. Um, What about discontentment, Dad? I know you and I have talked a lot about this idea of discontentment, um, that something or someone hasn't come through for somebody. And so that's an inner root where the discontentment then leads to, you know, some behaviors that they're pursuing to find that inner contentment, if you will. Is that, sure. Would that be also another root issue that you're? Oh,
1: sure. And and discontentment is a is a strong spiritual soul soulical experience. You may not initially be able to put your finger on what you're discontented with. It may even be a subconscious or unconscious reactive thing that's going on. Something's going on that's disappointed you or discouraged you or wasn't your plan or whatever, and so it begins to find a place in you. And as that festers and grows, at some point we begin to connect some dots and realize I'm discontent. Yeah. It becomes a more conscious behavior. Then we have to decide, so how am I going to deal with that? I either got to change my circumstance, change my spouse, change my employer, change my children. Well... Yeah. One of, the, one of the other commonalities, if you will, is beyond discontent is the, the idea that we, people in general, think we can change others.
0: Yeah.
1: It's one of the biggest lies in the world. And, and so it, in, in the blame games that we play, which, which are just human nature, they're self-defense mechanisms. As long as I can keep my finger on somebody or something else. It keeps me from taking having to take responsibility. We're we're all got that in us, yeah. So some are professional <laughs> uh, at, at At this point, I probably had some of that in me along the way, but but I think what that does is it begins to build to where uh, you consciously or not are building an mo. This is how I cope. This is how I deal with things, and so oftentimes that's where we medicate. Yeah. That's where we escape, if you will. When I go here, I don't have to deal with this. When I go here, I've got people that will accept me just the way I am, or they're not going to have to. They don't want to know the things about me that matter. Right. So they're going to live on a surface level with me, and I'd rather live that way so that I don't have to come clean. So all that stuff are traps because they, they feed to the, to the inner soul of a man who at times has trouble with honesty which I guess comes as another commonality. Um, We'll do and say whatever it takes sometimes to either cover up or minimize. Guys in particular are notorious for this because I can handle that. And I've proven that I can handle that. And I'll never admit to you that I can't handle that. I'd rather go down in flames (laughs) and admit that I can't handle that. And so I believe that's one of the reasons why God – in his love for us actually allows some very difficult things to happen because at some point, some pretty strong self-determined independent people, particularly guys have to look somebody square in the eye and say, this is bigger than me. And, and that needs to happen. It has to happen for all of us. Uh, And um, that's when they're, Guys usually got somebody
0: on our doorstep ready to help and be a part of that. Yeah, I talk a lot with my with guys about just getting honest with the situation, getting, yeah. you know, facing the honesty of the fact that they really are powerless to yeah. <laughs> to fix it or change it. There's they've gotta there's gotta be this self-awareness of honesty of dealing with the situation they've got themselves in. So right. I wanna, you know, with 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 our Ministry of Freedom for You, we're dealing with the behavior of sexual yeah. you know, struggles and addiction. So I want to kind of connect the dots here for just a few minutes with, what you're, with, what, with your work and what, what connection is there with people that you're working with. And then also, you know, this inside out transformation that you're looking for, but then also the sexual struggles that, that a lot of people are dealing with. How, how does that come across in your, in, in your work? Yeah. Uh,
1: Purity issues are probably in 75 plus percent of all the marriages that I see breaking up. Uh, And I think there's plenty of documentation of that out there. Uh, And it could be a husband or a wife or both. So whether it's purity, meaning just infidelity and Unfaithfulness, and those kind of things, which is a core uh, purity issue, uh, or whether it's simply other things that have snuck in that have begun to tear down or break down the culture of a relationship. You sometimes that may only be happening with one of the two spouses. Typically, more often with the man.
0: And yeah, so those things is.
1: are the are things that that are are everywhere. Uh, I. I saw, you know the statistics better than I, but uh, uh, if these statistics are true, then I, then it says that between 60 and 70% of every man that I personally talk with, and these are Christians, non-Christians, a variety of people, 60 to 70% of them have been experiencing pornography, as an example, uh, at least one time in the last week not the last month, not the last year. And that's just the ones that so, will admit to it and be honest. That's just the ones Who knows what the numbers are. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I yes. know those to be true because eventually people give me permission to ask any and all the questions I need to ask. And so when life is breaking and they finally are willing to look somebody and say, yeah, it's a problem for me. Then um, oftentimes it's the first time in their life. They've been willing to recognize, if you will, what, What's at stake here, and how big this thing is. So that's something I, that I just have more and more. I've just become aware of it. And I don't. I don't. I don't want to assume that on anybody. It's not a hundred percent, but it's a high percentage. And so I need to be asking questions to determine what that looks like in a man's life. Um, but there's a the other part I was talking about this independent pride aspect. Men in general, I have found have taken on this I have rights I'm a man every don't men just hey we're men we men do this kind of stuff uh, it comes with the territory so it's a lie it's one of the bigger lies and yet when you're scrambling to make sense of anything you'll you'll believe just about anything sometimes and so I hear a lot of that in my in my um, counseling and coaching work. And so we try to get there as soon as possible to determine what, in fact, here are some of the lies that have crept in. And and, uh, I believe that's one of the biggest things I can do, I believe you can do in the work that we do, is um, listen intently to people to discern and identify obvious lies they're believing. Come against those lies with truth Uh, I believe truth is anchored in scripture I think it's the most real world practical helpful place to go in the world and it doesn't give pie in the sky easy spiritual pills to swallow it talks (laughs) about real life and what happens it knows what it means when people try to do it themselves and it talks about that So I just have come to believe over time that I'm going to start and finish with that as my primary source of truth. Some guys are ready and waiting to identify that as part of our process. Some guys are not. Some guys might walk away from that and say, hey, uh, I actually, for people who work with me, I say, hey, look, you don't have to agree with everything I'm saying. You do have to understand that if you work with me, Uh, you're going to be working with somebody who uses the Bible as a primary source of truth. and So if you sign this paper, you're going to to say, I I understand that. I want that. I invite that. And whether they even know what they're going to get, I want them to at least acknowledge that. And and so that's that's part of our our process. And I, I think that getting to that point of lies versus truth is a a core issue that's going on in anybody who's going through crisis, anybody who's going through a hurting time in their life. Life has been challenged, and the answers that they have had previously are no longer working. And they've either got to run from it and try to escape from it, or they got to at some point deal with it, and they usually need help, like I did, like you did. So. I think that's this whole idea of recognizing uh, their their problem is actually about fifty percent of the whole of the whole issue because all of the mental gymnastics and and uh, self-defense mechanisms that exist with people, you're dealing with that. and so uh, a good counselor or coach is going to be somebody who will listen and learn, but who who knows where some of those lies tend to embed themselves with people and can at least help people cut to the chase sometimes,
0: uh, and, and start dealing with where the roots really are. Okay. Can, can you, I know you mentioned this before dad, but this transformation process, can you kind of give a quick summary of that, of what you take, you know, you, I, I yeah. do think it's unique to you and what you do in your work. Can you, can you kind of give us a quick little rundown of those? Yeah. Transformation uh, process.
1: And, and I don't, this is not Gospel in the sense that there's there's different ways to approach this, but I think these are elements that I know are true that need to have to be a part of of change. and i I, I qualify change by saying lasting change., yeah. and I qualify lasting change by saying transformation.
0: Right.
1: I think that's the word that we crave. I, I want something not, I, we all try things and sometimes we'll 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 It'll change for a while. I I think every one of us—the human experience—is oh, I tried and I overcame that, but look where I'm at now. Now I'm doing it again, and it's worse. Or I mean, diets are notorious for that, right? We've we've (laughs) lost a thousand pounds over the time, but we've gained (laughs) we've gained about eleven hundred through that time, or or whatever it is. So yeah. So so I believe I determined that there's the the scripture, the gospel is based on people that need redemption i what i'm doing isn't working and it's not satisfying my soul and it's not satisfying life and so the core letters in redemption start with the letters r e re and when you think about re re is in words all throughout our language if you look at the bible there's, there's re words everywhere and so as i began examining this and i realized that hey we all know what the feeling is of wanting to a redo let me do it again. If I had this to do over again, I wouldn't get hooked on pornography. I wouldn't have cheated on my wife. I wouldn't have gained 50 pounds. Right. I mean, you know, fill in the blank of what it is. I wouldn't have stolen money, but, but even when we have those, those feelings, oftentimes we'll still repeat or do the same thing. So, Having a redo is, is one thing. You have to recognize that this is big enough problem in me that, that I need help. So five words that I think are the primary movement of redemption in a person who wants lasting transformational change. Number one, recognize, be willing to say, this is bigger than me, I've got a problem, and reach out for help. It's why most people never change very much.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Um, it's why I I had those problems in my life. Number two, though, recognition does not get you to a point that's necessary. You have to actually reject the behavior. I'm now sick of it. I'm I'm beyond, I have a problem. I need some help. This controls my life. I am desperate. Uh, The word for uh, this in Scripture is the word, sorrow which is the same root word as sorry right right. Uh, so we're always telling people i'm sorry we tell our wives or or our husbands i'm sorry i'll never do that again and we kind of mean it because at that moment we we are truly sorry because it's put us in a predicament (laughs) we're sorry for the for what's happened the consequence maybe but but sorry scripture says the word sorrow is a worldly term which has to do more with grief or loss or those kind of things. I'm sorrowing for a loss. But what's what it says is, sorry doesn't cut it. And so scripture says, but there is a godly sorrow. And so reject means, I'm so sick of it. I would do anything right now to get rid of this, to run from this, to turn and go. So reject is a second. Uh, in the same area of scripture, there ta- says that, the godly sorrow leads to, and this is the third re-word, repentance. Uh, sounds religious, maybe, huh? Sounds like, oh, man, I don't know about that stuff. <laughs> is that where you go talk to the priest or, or somebody? And it could be. Uh, but repentance simply means I realize that something is going to have to change inside of me. And just me saying sorry or being sorry is not enough. And so I want to reject this in a way that go back to that first statement we made, Matt, we do what we do because we are who we are. We believe what we believe. <laughs> Repentance deals with that issue. I have to change who I am. But God, would you take this broken person, this messed up person, this person, I don't even know whether your forgiveness is big enough for me. And would you take my junk? And would you do what only you can do and clean me up and forgive me? And the greatest news of all is we have a God who not only will do that, but actually runs toward us ready and wanting to do it. Not waiting until we get our act together <laughs> or where our behavior changes enough where maybe we'll be acceptable to God. When, oh man, what a pressure that is. No wonder people can't pull that off. How can you ever be good enough for that? More religious enough for that.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. So. So, forgiveness is really a, um, a a way to ask God, God, would you take care of this problem, this sin, this behavior, but would you also change who I am? Would you do something in me which would take away my decisions, my choices, my movements toward this behavior that keeps getting in my way? So, he says, one of my favorite verses in Scripture says that, For those of us who are in Christ, because he says we we trust our life to what Christ did for us, the redeeming work of Christ. He paid for a sin that I could not pay for. And when he did that, it takes a faith just big enough for me to say, I'm willing to accept the free gift of grace that you give me to say, you'll do that for me. If you forgive my sin and start me fresh and start me clean, man. That sounds about as good as anything right now, because I've been trying to get this thing right for a long time and I can't pull it off. So, so as that happens and he comes into our life and he says, I'll start you fresh. The scripture I was going to say to you is for those of us who are new in Christ, it says we are new creations in Christ, right? The old is dead. The new is alive. You talk about a, a picture of, of, our identity. It's not talking about behavior, it's talking about the person. I died and I was born anew into something that How he has created. Now walk in this. Yeah. I see you differently. and I see you through the blood of Jesus that has redeemed you and has changed you. Well, once that happens, all bets are off because I want to behave differently. Yeah. <laughs> if you're willing to do that, so my de- desires begin to change. And so oftentimes if I'm struggling with a behavior or something, some of that may just fall right off the table for a while, uh, or it might be easy, some of the easier things to to begin to channel. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to think that way anymore. Uh, and so um, that's, a, that's a good first step as God begins to help us in our transformation. But this fourth area after repentance is what I call replace. Yeah. He has to begin to teach us how to change our behavior. The guy who wrote about one-third of of all the New Testament, a guy named Paul, he used to be a Christian killer. Talk about how how crazy it is for God to take a life that's just so contrary to him and and forgive it and change it and purpose it for something dramatically good. Paul said, I don't understand it all because I remember how bad I was. I used to be the chief of sinners. But he, but, but he says, I was once slave to sin. And he uses that word. Now I'm slave to righteousness. And he wasn't saying he had it all together. He wasn't saying he didn't make mistakes. Because shortly after that, he started talking about, now I still struggle sometimes. and I still, I'm still working. I'm a work in progress. But he said, the natural inclinations of my heart have completely changed. God has changed who I am. And so I am no longer slave to that. If I go do that now, it's 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 not because my heart and my desires are there. Right. So that's a replacement, one piece at a time. We began to take all the places where I once spent my time doing this impure thing, thinking this impure thought. Whatever, I have to replace that with something. There's a there's all these pieces of my life that I can only try so hard to not do them. Before guess what? We usually actually return to our former behaviors, and we don't we don't go find new behaviors very often. We go find the same old ones that we know where that's taken us. But we do it because we've given up. We run out of steam because we we've, we've tried so hard to keep our act together. And God never told us to do that. He said, "Let me give you ways to replace your behaviors." So that's a whole area of life that I love working with people on, to say what what needs to you need to insert in your life. And the terminology I use, Matt, is you begin to crowd out the opportunity for sin, for for behaviors that are not pleasing to God. Not all at once, but one piece at a time. And in His patience and in His grace, uh, He He gives us time of movement uh, so the transformation can occur. And and so uh, over time, uh, you get down to maybe just a couple things that still you struggle with or still are the big ones in your life because you've, over time, one piece at a time, God has helped you and he's, he's allowed you to uh, redeem this behavior, this attitude, and whatever. Well, if all that's happening, the fifth thing is a natural flow of the heart. When we know that God has done work in our heart, when we are gaining confidence that I couldn't have done this, but God has helped me do this. What's the natural thing we do? We rejoice.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Rejoice is a missing piece in most people's lives. Uh, if you're struggling in your life, if life has been crummy for a long time, if you've had this behavior or this habit or this crisis, whatever, for a long time, you don't even know how to rejoice. Rejoice come becomes some fake place where we escape for little brief snippets of life and not think about something. That's not rejoicing. Rejoicing means out of a thankful heart. The the core word of rejoice is the word joy. And Scripture, throughout scriptures uses the, the phrase, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So more than anything else, Scripture says, when you have joy in your life, that will make you stronger. You'll be more able to produce more of the good works God had intended for you all along that will then produce more joy. And next thing you know, the momentum, the, the godly, righteous cycle of life just begins to, to take on its flow. So, when those five things happen recognize, reject, repent, replace, and rejoice I see those as the fundamentals of what transformation looks like. And so, whatever comes our way, uh, this will be the last time we're dealing with something that needs a change. So, along the way, we will have to implement this, but we've learned our lessons, and this becomes tighter and tighter. We, we wait less, less time to recognize I have a problem, to recognize this is not from God, to recognize this is what I've, not what I've been purposed to do. Come on, get rid of that and go back to what matters more. Those are the kind of things that are tightening up so that that circle, which was kind of out here, as life gets like this, begins to get more spiritually oriented you become naturally more inclined to quickly lean toward God and, and when things are not from Him. And, um, and that's, a, that's what Scripture kind of talks about as the sanctifying work. It, it, it says, hey, over time, God's going to do lots of stuff on us, and it'll take a lifetime. And, and the, the verse that I use for me all the time, one of my favorite verses in Philippians chapter 1, where it says, be sure of this thing that he who began this good work in you yeah. will carry it on to completion until the day of the Lord. <laughs> and on the bad days or on the days when I'm struggled, or on the days when, why is this so hard for me to overcome this? Uh, I need to know that's true. And, and that God's in his patience and in his love and care has an amount of grace that we'll never fully understand that allows us a lifetime to become all that he wants us to be and, um, that's the good news of redemption. That's what I try to spend my life talking to people about. Every time I tell them somebody else, I'm looking in the mirror and telling me of what God has done in my life. Cause I was a broken mess and he had to do that in my life. So, um, yeah, yeah. I told you more than you want to know, but those are the kind of the five, I call yeah, them uh, re. Um, right, right. and and, um, it makes sense to me. It's a tool I can use for me, myself, and for the people that try to help. And some a lot of people are telling me it kind of makes sense for them. That it, that it's authentic to scripture, and it's um, it's understandable.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 you can remember it, and it's uh, it's very succinct and clear. And you know, I, I use that Philippians verse a lot too because yeah. you and I are dealing with people who are losing hope to some degree. They're 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 you know, one of the things I try to do early on if I'm working with somebody is to try to make sure that that they have some some type of hope to go forward with 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 because they feel like they're in a hopeless situation. And you know, just also drawing the connection that you were saying about, you know, and you and I have talked about this about we're ultimately we're not telling people what to do. We're (laughs) we're opening the word of God to them. Uh, you know, each of the people that we work with probably have different levels of of knowledge or awareness of god 's word, and we can see that pretty early on, but right. but give, showing them the Word of God, sharing it with them, and then letting them ultimately kind of wrestle through that and process through that truth right. uh, as as opposed to you know me just telling a guy what to do i can give I can give a guy all the right things to do as far as staying away from pornography or sexual sin, but ultimately, like we've talked about, if there's not an inside out change, if there's not a identity change, uh, that's going to fade at some point. So, um, okay. so yeah, just just giving them this biblical <laughs> counseling and coaching and let, let them, you know, then begin to uh, um, process through that. I kind of see myself as a coach and a guide, like I'm leading them to, to truth and then they have to kind of wrestle with that and process through that. Um, yeah. we, you know, I can go through, we could go on and on obviously, but I just as kind of a closing thought with regards to particularly this issue of sexual sin, what, what message could you leave the listeners with as far as someone, you know, we, we do have female listeners as well. We have mostly men, but, but female, you know, it's this is, this struggle is not just, you know, a man struggle anymore. Um, You know, more and more females are dealing with it. So anyway, uh, but what message of of hope, what message of encouragement would you give to someone listening to this today that they could have hope and move forward in freedom uh, with with this struggle of sexual sin?
1: Uh, It's probably no coincidence that throughout Scripture, sexual sin is often highlighted as yeah. top of list, not because it's any worse than other sim, but because it's so prevalent and it's so strong, it's so powerful. Uh, and I think there are some things about it that have some unique qualities. The reason why I think it touches places in us that other sim doesn't get to is because it has to do with this issue of acceptance. Yeah. And so. The word that I would leave with your listeners is the same reason that when we are, are in our sin sexually, hoping that somebody will accept us. We went there because we were allured by, by that, or maybe somebody who we thought didn't accept us, uh, and so we're going to create an environment or do something to, to help. We may not be conscious of that. But a lack of acceptance is the probably the biggest hole that I have found in people. For all comes from all kinds of root causes, but it's it's there. It's one of the we talked about isolation is why people are so isolated, and so they build up these places that they can go to find some levels of acceptance. Yeah. Well, it yeah. always fails. It always fails. And it always leaves their souls lacking because because when when it finally you. It's just you and God in the pillow, and you're saying, God, not only am I pretty sure that if you exist, this this is I'm, where I'm at right now is not acceptable to you, and what I'm doing is unacceptable to you, but I can't imagine anything that I could possibly do to change it, that kind of lack of hope you're talking about. So their world gets very tight and very narrow, and uh, it's a scary place to be. So I say the hope is the fact that that's actually what, God wants us to get to as soon as possible. Acceptance is the issue. And we do live in a world that struggles with acceptance. On my best day, as a father to you, Matt, I made plenty of mistakes in the area of not treating you as if you were fully accepted by me. I realized that. Uh, some of it, maybe it was my own learned behavior from my father and other things. Some of it was my own choices. Uh, some of it was just learning to be a dad. Whatever it was, all those things, I'm still learning, by the way. Thanks for the patience. But, but it's, a, it's the classic example of a father and a son. And, and if there's not acceptance there, then that's, there's always going to be a gap there. So when mm-hmm. God looks at us, square in the eyes and say, I would do anything to have a relationship with you, and I don't care what you've done even as hard as that is for us to believe that's the message of jesus that's the message of redemption and so i have experienced that i've seen countless others experience that i know it to be true uh, and so even as hard as that is for somebody to believe uh, until they get to the point where they're willing to take faith and give that a shot they'll never know so god will accept as one of those Verses again. I know I keep saying favorite verses, but but uh, Scripture actually says, you know, in this because it's not behavior. Get your act together, and He'll accept you. He's saying Scripture says, while you were still in your sin,
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: Christ died for you, yeah. and we may never fully understand the level of grace and love that is. It's beyond us, but that's what He says. And so Jesus said come to me, let me change you so your life can begin to change. Uh, Not get your life together, and one day I'll accept you and you can be part of the club. Uh, And so I love that, that heart of God, of acceptance. It's what everybody, regardless of our behavior or addiction, we got to get to. And so uh, sexual sin, I believe, actually prepares our heart to actually respond well to that message. It takes some faith, but we're ready because we know our hearts have been broken. Our hearts have been dirtied, Our hearts have been smashed. Our hearts have been separated. Mm -hmm. And we know what that feels like and looks like. And a lot of us have to go to bed with that at night, living with that and wondering, could it ever be any different? And the answer is yeah but you got to have a loving grace filled father who will accept you the way you are and love you enough and we do so that's my message i guess
0: yeah that and that you 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 pretty much nailed it for me too because that's that was the core root issue for me and just dealing with you know pornography and going to it for acceptance and 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 it you know Providing that in a fake way, in a false way, but yet that was really that root core issue that that I think so many are struggling with and dealing with, and just looking for to know that God fully accepts them. You know, like you said, they don't have to clean themselves up. There's not this jumping through a bunch of hoops. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. So, um, well, again, Dad, thanks for for this. I have a few little fun questions here in a minute, but I want to you know say thank you and actually you know uh, if i want to have you come back at some point because this whole idea of soul care that you talk about i want to do a whole episode on that cuz i think it would be really good for our listeners probably for your listener for your for your group too but just this idea of soul care cuz it really hits to the core of that replacement you know aspect which i think is really huge for a lot of a lot of people so at some point we'll okay. we'll come back with that but but sure. um yeah, thank you for doing this. Happy Father's Day! Yeah, uh, and you you, you have you are a great dad, and thank you for for everything that I've gotten from you. And I do, you know, I know our relationship is is really really uh, you know different now, but thank you for for your love of me and your your wisdom to me and your your uh, grace and your care and just uh, pouring stuff into me that I'm able to now use things that I've learned from you to be able to you know work in my own coaching and ministry as well so
1: you're a great dad too <laughs> i want to i want to tell the world that so uh yeah. I, I love so, and admire what i see you doing with your own family so um
0: stay at thank, it. <laughs> thank you so here here's here's the curveball man a couple of fun little questions just to end uh so what who give me your favorite cardinal player favorite cardinal player of all time oh i think
1: probably bob gibson
0: Mm, interesting okay i wouldn't have guessed that
1: is that right i got a three or four but right now it's adam wainwright i gotta okay. mention him he loves jesus and he's just a world-class yeah. athlete and uh, he's doing crazy things all over the world to, to help people I, I love that guy i love Pujol. some of these guys that give a lot yeah. of their money away uh you know yeah. that's what yeah. i want to see
0: yeah I, I have to say ozzie smith only because that's who that's the first player that i really kind of Attached myself to growing up and really he yep. was like the star star of the team and he I just yep. I have probably more memories of Ozzy than I do any <laughs> other any other player. So that's kind of my <laughs> yep. I could say a whole lot, too. Uh, and then what about your favorite Cardinal memory? Mm. Like if one stood out, what would what would you say?
1: Well, this this may surprise you, but. uh We were down in St. Louis. um Uh, A couple years ago, and we were, it was before the game, and uh, Cardinal players were uh, uh, coming uh, and signing a few autographs. Just a few of them. A lot of them don't do it, but, uh, and we had uh, some grandkids there. I think you were there, too. Uh, But my oldest granddaughter, Jordan, uh, who's a Cardinal fan, who had all of her Cardinal gear on, and she had an Adam Wainwright uh, jersey on. Yeah, And she was up as close as she could get, but I didn't know whether she was going to get his autograph or not. And somehow, not only did she get close enough, but he pointed to her because he saw the jersey, and he brought her close. So she was leaning over the side rails. She turned her shirt, and on the back of that shirt of, her, of his actual jersey, he signed his name and put a scripture verse on there. Hmm. It just blew me away, and I said, man, <laughs> I couldn't have wished for anything more for Jordan than, I, than what I saw there. He's just a man, and we can't, we can't elevate fame over that, but I know, the, I know that guy's heart. I know what he represents, and that picture, I'm looking at it right now because right here in my office, huh. there oh, is no. a picture of Jordan with her shirt on, and with, in the back, you can see Wainwright signing it.
0: I was there, and that's a very cool memory. Yeah. I, it got me thinking, back in the days of Bob Gibson, were you able to get that close? Were you ever able to get that close to him, to some of those guys?
1: Not him, I wasn't. Uh, okay. We were. They always had a few. And there were some guys that uh, that um, made themselves more available than others. He, he typically did not. He kind of had a little edge to him, a little chip on his shoulder, yeah. a little yeah. mean streak. Not okay. a bad way, but, I mean, he just he wasn't a real personable guy. Yeah. So I wish I could
0: have been, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, I, to, I the, the first memory for me that jumps out obviously is Ozzie Smith's home run in game five, go crazy oh, yeah. folks that, you know, uh, but I think if I think about 2011 and the David Freese yeah. game, that's probably, probably elevate a little bit more because we ended up winning the championship as opposed to 85. We, we lost in the world series, uh, you know, to the Royals, but I think the those two as far as game memories probably <laughs> you know stand out. I agree with you on that one. Two thousand eleven. Yeah. And, yeah. and and then I don't know if you saw it or not, but then last night all these memories started flooding back because then they showed uh they had a documentary on ESPN, the, the ninety-eight uh home run chase with McGuire and all yeah. of that brought back a lot of that's probably I a big memory seen too. Yet. Yeah,
1: I'm gonna have to see that. I haven't seen it yet.
0: Yeah, it's really good. Check that out. So anyway, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to wrap this up. Thanks for doing this, dad. Love you. Thanks for sharing the cup today. Go Cardinals. And apologize to all those Cub fans out there, but you're going to have to just put up with it. We're, (laughs) we're, we're going to celebrate our team. So that's right. All right. Thanks dad. Bye.